Welcome to EVN Report. My name is Maria Titizian, and it's a great pleasure today to have Ambassador Andrew Turner, Canada's ambassador to Armenia, in the studio. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Maria. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, it's a great pleasure for me because, you know, as a Canadian Armenian or former Canadian Armenian, we are thrilled that Canada has finally opened an embassy, you know, one of the last countries to do so in, in Armenia. So the, for us, it's a, an extra special time. Um, I do want to introduce uh, you, Ambassador, to our listeners so they have a little bit of a background of who you are. You have served in missions in Saudi Arabia, Syria, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, not easy places to serve in. Uh, and most recently, you served as Deputy Director of the Eastern Europe and Eurasia Division. And you have now been in Armenia for the past two months. That's correct. Uh, although in fact, before I came, I had spent a couple of years as the director of the division. So I started as deputy uh, director and then moved then on. Then moved on. So you are familiar with the general region uh, that we uh, live in. And you come to Armenia at a time of, I would say, great turmoil in the country, in the post-war situation, the post-ethnic cleansing of Nagorno-Karabakh, a challenging neighborhood. You know, Armenia is one of the last remaining democracies in, in Eurasia, along with Georgia. We are surrounded by a sea of dictatorships. So it's not an easy region to be in. But before we talk about what the embassy's main directions uh, or main activities will be, how did the decision to open an embassy finally come about? No, it's uh, no very happy to discuss the background. I think it's a combination of several factors. As always, you know, the stars have to align just right. Uh, but I think by far the most important and most significant one uh, was the changes here in Armenia itself uh, in 2018, the great commitment of the government to embracing and moving forward with democratic reform really uh, highlighted to Canada the importance of in increasing our engagement, uh, supporting emerging democracies as one of the key elements of our foreign policy. And we also then had the excellent good fortune of the timing of the 2018 summit La Francophonie in mm -hmm. which Prime Minister Trudeau and then uh, Minister for La Francophonie, now Foreign Minister uh, Jolie, uh, came to Yerevan and were able to see directly with their own eyes mm -hmm. uh, what the government was doing. And they came away incredibly impressed. And that really, I think, increased the desire and willingness to find ways of increasing our engagement with Armenia. So that, I think, was the single most factor, important factor, but there have been a few others. One, in terms of, say, moving in chronological order, of course, uh, unfortunately, we have seen uh, increasing tensions and difficulties in Canada's relations with Russia, and uh, one of the consequences of that has been a challenge in getting uh, our embassy in Moscow fully staffed. And so the traditional model that we had of being able to engage and manage our relations with Yerevan from Moscow was increasingly complicated and difficult as we had fewer resources. You then, I think, have the impact of the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and the desire from Canada to, again, do more to support Armenia and Armenian democracy in the in the wake or the aftermath of that conflict. And this is what uh, led to the appointment of Special Envoy Dion on his mission to produce his report on how Canada could increase our support to Armenian democracy. And of course, he produced uh, many recommendations, but one of them was the opening of the embassy. So right. all of these factors mm -hmm. aligned. And then I think the final piece of the puzzle was that Minister Jolie 
being in her role as foreign minister, as someone who knows the Armenian Canadian community very well from her constituency and having worked with them over many years, I think was very, that increased knowledge and awareness of the, of the challenges facing Armenia, I think made it an even uh, bigger priority than it would have been otherwise. Sure. So all well, of the these things came together. The Canadian Armenian community is, is quite adept and at advocacy uh, and advocating. And I know for many, many years, for decades almost, uh, the Armenian community in Canada had been advocating for a Canadian embassy and a Canadian presence in Armenia. And um, yes, and after Stefan Dion issued that report, it was soon after that uh, Melanie Jolie uh, announced the opening of the embassy. This was back in 2022, last year. Yes, that's right, in the summer. And uh, and I can assure you from my direct personal experience in, in my prior role and, and now in the current one, that it has been made crystal clear to the bureaucracy how much of an urgent priority it was to mm -hmm. move forward. And I think the fact that we were able to move from the announcement to the mm -hmm. opening of the embassy and having uh, our, our first resident ambassador appointed within a little more than a year, uh, which again, May Record not sound speed. may not sound <laughs> that impressive, but if you're dealing with government bureaucracy, sure. then that is yes, that is that is almost a record-setting pace. So the embassy here is, is not very large, I presume. It's still a very very new embassy. We did have a consulate here for many years, but now this is a full-fledged embassy, and uh, the stated purpose. I mean, a lot of missions have come to Armenia or to other countries not only to promote their own interests, mm -hmm. but also to assist those countries in which they operate. And Canada's response is to the evolving security threats, to enhance political and economic cooperation, to support European allies, and further counter the impacts of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and support Armenia and its democratic development. Do you have any specific plans, any specific programs that you think or you would like to be implementing during your tenure here as ambassador? Oh, absolutely. The first uh, and most important is simply the practical process of completing uh, the operationalization of the mission. So we, we are here, we have the first of our staff, but we still have more people to hire. Uh, we have part of our office space open, but it's not yet completed. So we want to continue expanding it so that we have room to hire the additional mm -hmm. staff uh, and ultimately uh, to be able to uh, offer full uh, embassy services from uh, from the embassy office. Uh, at the moment, we're still using uh, our consul, for example, to provide service to Canadians because we don't yet have the capacity to do it mm -hmm. from the office. So we are temporarily using two offices, uh, but ultimately we will move uh, to to consolidating everything within the embassy. So that process is yes, as much as. I'd like to say I'm spending all of my time focused on you know the subtle analysis of the geopolitics of the region or engaging in high-level political discussions. There is a an important role for focusing on more practical realities of the office of, okay, do we have the right paint and do we have the furniture and are the electrical wires properly grounded and do we have the right criteria for the competitions for hiring our staff? So that that's certainly the most important, uh, particularly for me in this initial, initial phase. Uh, I would say the second element of our mission right now and uh, certainly the one that Minister Jolie emphasized uh, during her visit uh, in October for the official opening uh, was to support Armenia and its uh, sovereign and territorial integrity and its response to the humanitarian crisis in this very difficult time. So again, as you said, the Armenian-Canadian community had been pushing for the opening of the embassy for, for decades. This was a very significant accomplishment and a very big priority for Minister Jolie. But given 
the timing of when it was happening, we did not feel that it was appropriate for this to be a, a massive celebration with large indeed, park events. Indeed, so indeed. The focus, she mm -hmm. felt, really needed to be on demonstrating our support to Armenia. And so uh, she took the time to engage with uh, the refugees from Nagorno-Karabakh to highlight additional Canadian humanitarian assistance and to visit into the Jeremuk area and observe with the EU observer mission that Canada is also supporting some of the territory that's been occupied. So the again, that signal of political support was uh, a key focus and helping the government respond to the humanitarian crisis. So that that's the second element. Uh, and then I'd say the third is very much going back to everything I mentioned about the report from Special Envoy Dion and the ultimate changes back in 2018 is very much to do what Canada can to support uh, Armenia and Armenian democracy. Uh, so again, whether that's through support to civil society, whether that's the ongoing work that we've been providing some of our technical expertise from Canadian expertise and the support to the National Assembly from the Canadian Parliament, these are areas where uh, we are looking to focus and do more the, now that we're here on the ground. And I think that's another area uh, where we have the huge advantage in that uh, we have seen even just in the two months that I've been here with Minister Jolie, uh, and then subsequently with the OSCE Parliamentary Assembly, we've had Canadian parliamentarians from all of the major Canadian political parties, and they've highlighted their support. This is very much a, mm -hmm. uh, an issue where there is no division or debate within Canada. Support to Armenian, Armenian democracy is a, a nonpartisan issue. So that, that element of democracy is, I think, the, mm -hmm. the, the driving the underpinning force. And so I think those three things are collectively the major areas we're hoping to focus on. But obviously, once we're here, I'm hoping that we can expand and move on to other areas as well, strengthening people-to-people -people ties, uh, links in education, uh, commercial ties. Again, with the embassy here, that sends a very positive signal, I think, to the Canadian business community uh, that there is support and opportunities to engage, just as the reforms that the government has been implementing are making, uh, making Armenia more attractive market to, to do business in. So that is also something that I think it will take a bit of time to get there, but that those areas are also mm -hmm. things that we want to branch out and explore further. Well, very promising. So from markets back to security, um, you mentioned Canada's participation in the EUMA, which is the EU mission in Armenia, which is a very interesting. And again, talking about bureaucracy, the European Union was very quick to put together the EUMA mission to monitor Armenia's borders with Azerbaijan as a deterrent against any kind of potential attack by Azerbaijan on the sovereign territory of Armenia. And when it was announced that Canada will be participating, this was, it was quite interesting to see the reaction. It was very positive, obviously. And we know that there were or are already two people that will be drawn from the RCMP or have the Canadians already joined the UMA? Uh, not yet. So the process, again, the joys of government bureaucracy. Um, so with the, the, the decision was taken uh, for the EU to accept Canada as a third party state contributing to EUMA. Uh, but then there then is a separate process for identifying specific individual candidates for the specific positions. Uh, and many of them are reserved for the EU member states themselves. So it's a certain subcategory that are available for countries like Canada. Well, right now, Canada is the only country, uh, although I believe that we are hoping that further countries will, will join as well. But so we're, we're very proud to have been the first one and hopefully have set a, a positive example. 
So uh, the process for identifying the candidates and deploying them is underway right now. And so we are we are hoping that they will be selected and arrive as soon as possible. Right. But we don't know if they will be from the RCMP or they will be from other uh, institutions. No. So the process is identifying, uh, again, so the, the process starts with the, the UMA identifying what capacities are uh, needed. needed. Uh, so in some cases, it could be police. In some cases, it could be uh, people who have expertise in uh, designing confidence-building measures. And so it's looking at uh, to see what, uh, what, what, are, what, what are the current maybe. gaps right. in the mission's capacities and then identifying there where Canada can provide that support. So Canada has participated in other EU missions, for example, in Georgia? Or no? Sorry, uh, off the top of my head, I'm not 100% certain about Georgia, okay. but certainly, yes, we have participated in other similar missions in other countries. And this is a, a, a very tangible demonstration of the close working relationship that Canada has with the EU. And obviously, uh, given that we share common agenda of supporting Armenia, then having Canada support EUMA here was a natural fit. Mm -hmm. Well, several months ago, uh, the Republic of Armenia had appealed to the EU to be um, included in the European peace facility, and initially it was rejected, but after the Azerbaijani attack and the ethnic cleansing of the uh, Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh, the EU is now exploring options to provide non-lethal support to Armenia's uh, military via this European peace facility. Now, Canada isn't uh, the United States, <laughs> we know that, but Canada does produce things such as non-lethal, let's call them, helmets, body armor, armored vehicles, do you think that there is a possibility that Canada could also be part of this now growing, slowly, but growing coalition of countries that are willing to support Armenia in its deterrence capabilities? Well, I think Minister Jolie uh, and the government have been very clear that, yes, we are looking at all options uh, in terms of providing support. Now, I think, as you've said, yes, Canada does not have the same capacity does not have the same uh, military industrial companies uh, that, that have the same options as you would have in the EU or in the United States. But these States. companies export heavily, these Canadian companies. Indeed. And there are, so there are, there are possibilities that can be explored. I think what we have been focusing on is, has been other areas uh, where there is already existing capacity that we can draw on. Uh, so very specifically looking to expand the possibilities of training, for example, participation in our military training cooperation program, the possibility of having uh, Armenians attend the Halifax International Security Forum. So these, these are areas where, again, the scale that Canada can offer is just not on, going to be able to, to, to create a significant alteration in terms of the deterrence, as you said, but the support that we can offer in terms of uh, enhancing capacity through training and other things could have that longer term dividend, as well as sending an important signal uh, about our uh, support for Armenia's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And that leads into my next question. You know, uh, the Armenian nation, the, the Republic of Armenia and, and the people of Artsakh, of Nagorno-Karabakh, obviously we are still in many ways in, in, in a state of shock at, at the situation right now. We have over 100,000 refugees from Nagorno-Karabakh who were forcibly displaced. It's a fact that it was clear ethnic cleansing. And in reality, President Ilham Aliyev of Azerbaijan has basically walked away scot-free. 
There have been no ramifications for the actions that were used against the people of Artsakh. Now, the NDP has asked, for those of us non-Canadians listening, this is an opposition party uh, in, in Canada, the New Democratic Party, has asked the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Melanie Jolie, to start imposing sanctions on Azerbaijani individuals who were responsible for violating human and international rights. And she has said that it's always on the table. Is it still on the table? Or has it walked away? No, I think the minister has been very clear in her comments that we are uh, all options remain on the table. Um, I think our hope is that uh, the progress that we have seen recently, and most notably the prisoner exchange uh, last week, well, there's is, the, the exchange hasn't happened yet. But the announcement, the joint statement, that these are indications of a, a growing focus and a growing commitment to a peaceful resolution of the conflict and hopefully eventually a full peace treaty. So that, I think, is something that we are very much trying to support and encourage. And the, the benefits that this would bring to Armenia, the benefits that this would bring to Azerbaijan, the benefits that this would bring to Turkey, uh, including a normalization of Armenia-Turkey relations in addition to Armenia-Azerbaijan peace treaty, are quite considerable. Uh, indeed, the, the, the only uh, potential loser in the scenario is uh, Russia and its ability to create difficulties, uh, instability in the region. So we are very strong strongly encouraging, by all means we can, uh, the pursuit of, uh, of a permanent peace agreement, including our engagement with Baku and with Ankara. So hopefully that is the route that will be followed. But if we are looking at different scenarios, then, then different options would be required. And again, as the minister has said, sanctions is one of them that would, would be on the table in that scenario. Yes, because it's still amazing to me that the West still believes after September 19 that the West still believes that Aliyev will honor his word. Because after September 19, what we were hearing from many Western capitals, including the United States, was that they were shocked and dismayed because Aliyev had made promises that he would not attack in the way that he did, his army did, mm -hmm. and the forcible displacement of over 100,000 people, which was a result of that attack. You know, Canada is a very uh, safe country. It's a very neutral country oftentimes, and it does like to play the role of peacemaker. Um, you are not like, Canada is not like other countries. It doesn't engage in wars. <laughs> but dealing with an authoritarian uh, leader who keeps reneging on his promises, is there not a level of naivety in the West toward Aliyev's commitment to peace? Well, I think everyone is uh, is very concerned, and not just concerned, but people, including uh, the government of Canada, have spoken out uh, against uh, the use of violence. All of the focus uh, of the attempts to resolve uh, the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, going back to the OSCE process and the men's group uh, over decades, the, the focus has always been on the importance of peaceful negotiations. And uh, we do not have to look very far to see the disasters that can result when an authoritarian leader chooses to pursue a military uh, invasion of a sovereign country. And when he's appeased. At, and looking at uh, the, the example of Putin and, and his invasion of Ukraine, which mm -hmm. has been disastrous for, obviously, most importantly for Ukraine, uh, but also very significantly for Russia uh, and indeed for people around the world because of the impact on food and energy that all has resulted from Russia's actions as, as much as they try to blame others for them. So I think it is very important that everyone be watchful and, and pay attention. But 
I think it is also very clear that if you look to see not just what uh, the US, what the EU uh, have been doing in their efforts to engage in uh, diplomatic efforts to resolve the conflict, but also in the efforts that the government of Armenia itself has been making, the, the commitment that Prime Minister Pashinyan has clearly demonstrated to pursuing uh, peace in the region, uh, normalization of relations, so the initiative things like the crossroads of peace that would again be tremendously beneficial to all of the countries uh, in the South Caucasus. These are efforts that Canada as a country that is further away and that we're again we are we are glad to be here and to play a greater role than we have been but we are we, we are not on the same scale as either the EU or the US uh, and certainly we are not as directly affected as as Armenia is going to be uh, so clearly uh, our role will be to support uh, the efforts of the government of Armenia well ambassador turner I know you've only been here two months. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And perhaps we end on a positive note. How have the first two months been for you personally? Uh, no, thank you very much uh, again. And uh, it, uh, it, you know, it's a great, a great pleasure to be here. And uh, you know, I look forward to, to future discussions uh, once I have been here longer and have a better sense of things. But from uh, my experience of the first two months, uh, it's been absolutely remarkable. Uh, again, were it not for the fact that it has coincided with this very difficult period for the country, I would have nothing but undiluted praise for the experience. But I, I am cognizant of how many people are are suffering, uh, having lost their homes, having to face such a crisis. So I don't want to be insensitive in focusing on it. But the experience has certainly been a very positive one. Uh, the people here have been incredibly friendly and welcoming. Uh, it has been, of course, wonderful to engage with uh, many Armenian Canadians uh, in particular. Uh, but I would say the Armenian population as a whole uh, have been uh, very, very pleased. Uh, it has been a delight to see how well regarded Canada is, how much uh, our presence here has been welcomed. And again, just uh, I, I still have not had much opportunity to visit other parts of the country, uh, but I have had a chance to see a, a few places, uh, Jeremuk when the minister was here, and then Yerak uh, Nadzor. Uh, and I had a chance then to, to visit the nearby Norovank monastery and see some of the, you know, the historic sites. Uh, my first uh, visit to uh, Armenian winery, uh, mm -hmm. and then here in Yerevan itself, just uh, yeah, you know, the, the city is is beautiful. Um, I understand the weather may be milder than usual, but certainly from a Canadian perspective, it's it is perfect. it is almost you know, late summer. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's exaggerating. But fall weather, early fall so, for sure. Uh, it is uh, no delightful just simply able to to wander around to to see so much of the city, uh, the parks, as you say. Uh, the tremendous range of restaurants and cafes, and uh, again, the other other thing I would say is the tremendous uh, cultural experience, the the wonderful performances of the orchestra, concerts, uh, ballet, the tremendous cultural life, uh, and of course, including I just had the chance uh, last Friday to listen to the Armenian National Philharmonic Orchestra, which just recently returned from their first ever chance to perform in Canada and Toronto and Montreal. So again, I think another sign of the increasing ties between our two countries. And uh, that is something that uh, I'm very optimistic that the embassy will be able to work on and strengthen even further uh, over the course of uh, both my tenure as the, the, the first resident ambassador, but then for, for many decades to come. Wow. 
Thank you so much. A pleasure. 